You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. It is so easy to get lost on the creative journey. That's why we make this show to help you get back on your path to unlocking your creative potential. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into this episode. Long-time listeners are going to recognize that today's episode is something that we scratched the surface on a while back, but sometimes a concept from an episode gets so stuck in my mind and it becomes a way of living and breathing and being an artist for me. And I end up using terminology or, or ideas from that philosophy with my friends and family as we're talking about and discussing and, and even diagnosing the problems or, or the, or the pleasures of a creative piece of work. And it, and it comes back to me and I'm like, there's so much more to talk about here. And I feel like this is a thing that maybe I want to get in your creative everyday vernacular. I want it to be a part of the way that you approach the work week in and week out. That's what this episode is. Now, we've called it before in the past, we called it coffee and cup. Marketers might call it product market fit, like market is the cup, product is the coffee. In this episode, and then probably going forward, the main ways I want to kind of reference these ideas are the vessel and the essence. There's really these two distinct parts, and they are related, but they are not the same thing when it comes to your creative work. There's the book. There's the idea of the book. There's the heart of the book. There's what is the actual, the part that really matters, man. That's the essence. But then there's the title. And there's the book cover and there's the back flap. And although they might feel like they don't matter in comparison to the essence, the vessel that you put it in, I want to talk about, I want to dive in and rip open this idea and show you that having the balance between essence and vessel is an enormously uh, helpful target to try to hit with each and everything that you make. And so we're going to do two episodes exploring this topic all over again. Let's go. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site, It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase.
look, it it stands to, I need to make it clear here. I do not love everything that I make. In fact, I would say like one out of 10 things that I create, I like, I feel like being, you know, we've talked about on the show a bunch of times, Christoph Neiman has this great 99U talk. He's a famous, really accomplished, incredible illustrator with great working philosophies. One of those philosophies is this idea that the job of the professional is to be able to show up and make good work. And actually, I feel like I'm a pro in that way. I, I feel like when it comes to illustration, when it comes to podcasting, when it comes to talks, when it comes to kids' books, I feel like I can make good work consistently. Uh, I feel like I know the craft. I know how to show up. I have a bunch of tricks in my metaphorical utility belt as a creator, and I can make good stuff. But when you are a practicing creative, good's just not good enough. You know, it's not enough to make you light up to be like, yeah, I did the thing I know how to do. And about every 10 things that I make, I'm like, okay, that, my friend, that has got some extra special sauce in it. That has some of my essence as a human. My soul was transferred into this podcast or, or this story or whatever it is. And, uh, and I, you know, sometimes when I do that and I have this piece of work and I'm just marveling at it, like it's my little baby just looking into its eyes like, oh, you're so beautiful. I can't wait to share you with the world. And I send a little text out to 10 of my friends and I show them this piece of work or whatever. And I'm imagining like, okay, I'm just going to sit back and uh, let the phone calls all roll in. There's going to be, you know, I'm going to have to, like, I got to put you on hold. I got another buyer that wants this piece like pronto, <laughs> but that's not what happens, right? You see those little dot, dot, dots in the text message and you're like, what? oh man, I can't, what are they, are they going to say? Like, this is a breakthrough, man. I didn't even know you had this in you, man. But what do they actually say more often than not is... I like it. What is it? <laughs> I like it. What is it? If you're not an artist, you probably hear that and you're like, okay, they just need it explained. That's not a big deal, but they like it. That's good. But if you are an artist, you know, that little phrase is basically the plight of the artist. I remember the first time I heard that phrase, like pulled out of reality and kind of like you know, memorialized was on this poster from UK poster designer, Anthony Burl. He just has this really stark style and it just says, I think it's just letterpress letters. Like, I like it. What is it? And if you're an artist, you know, when you're stood at the craft table and you got up at four in the morning to drive two hours and you we're, you know, screwing together your little grid wall apparatus and hanging your little wares up there and putting your heart and soul into these pieces. And you know, you have some of those pieces there that have that essence in it. And you get these moms walking by and someone stops to give you just, you know, they see there's no one at your booth and they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to do my little charitable thing for the artist and stop and say, Oh, Oh, I like it. What is it? You know what that actually means because the artist doesn't hear, I like it. What is it? They hear, I like it how you thought this was good enough to come here and drag all this stuff and print this stuff onto paper, killing trees, you know, <laughs> putting all this stuff out here with your little prices. Look at you. You are so cute. What is it? What the heck is, what am I looking at? Because I don't get it. That's what we hear, a sensitive artist, when we hear, I like it, what is it? And, uh, and, and it's painful, and it hurts. And, and we go back, and we're like, we were wrong. There was no essence in this thing. This thing, maybe I just suck. If I'm so delusional that I thought this thing was self-evidently, objectively phenomenal, then I can't even trust myself and I must be the person on American Idol that can't hit a note. You ever feel like that? Is that the, that is the worst nightmare where you're just like, oh, am I just, you know, if I just lost it, that's what it feels like when you're in that place. But I want to suppose that perhaps that isn't the case all of the time. Sure, sometimes we see things in our work that are not there, or, you know, we make too much of it or what, but I'd say more often than not, we actually like our work 
less than we should. You know, the times that we really feel like proud of what we do for the artist, that's usually the exception to the rule. And I want to argue that those pieces of work that you just absolutely feel are your essence on the page, on the song, in the text, like you somehow were able to pull that out of you through your craft. I want to suppose that maybe you are absolutely right. And that thing has the goods, but I also want to suppose that having the goods, having the substance, having the essence is not the only part of the equation for creative work really working as it should. Now, We talk a lot about Chuck E. Cheese on this podcast because I grew up in the Midwest and I just haven't had the time. I haven't made the time. Okay. You know, I just haven't made it a priority to see where Chuck E. Cheese whole geographical footprint actually is. And I, I just don't know if everybody knows it, but essentially it's the casino for kids. It's, you know, you go play games, get tickets, run around like a mad person. And when you were a kid, every, you know, few years, one of your friends, for some reason, maybe their parents, their mom was probably feeling guilty for working extra hours or whatever. You know, the dad yelled too much that year and they had to make it up. And they're like, (laughs) that's like the most cynical way to think about parenting. But for some reason they shelled out, they got one of the big tables right in front of Chuck E. Cheese's stage with all the hats and all the accoutrement of the pizzas and the free refills. And they just went all out. Every kid got a bag of coin to go play the games. And it was just the time of your life. And you're running around like crazy. Those kids in those moments, do you think that they give a crap about whose drink is whose? It is just pure madness. Often it's indoors because that's, you know, they would have done the cheap park option if it was the summertime birthday, but it's a wintertime birthday. And the parents are like looking at these kids like, oh my gosh, the germs that are going everywhere. They're busting, running, they're dehydrated, smashing into the table like it's world wrestling and gulping down whatever it is. They don't freaking care if it's Mr. Pibb. This isn't, you know, Braden in He's not the kind of person at this time in his life when he orders a diet Pepsi and the waitress is like, oh, sorry, we only have Coke products. This is, uh, we only have diet Coke. He's not like, okay, I'm going to need a little bit more time with the menu. No, he's like, well, I don't care if it's fizzy and sugary. I will down it. Okay, they don't care. They're drinking whatever. And Braden in, I was me. That was actually just me. And um, I would drink, you know, people's drinks when I was a little kid, like I was the broke frat boy, just finishing people's beers. And I especially loved coffee. And you're really not supposed to give coffee to kids, I'm told. And I remember I even liked black coffee. And my grandma used to drink black coffee. She was the one that used to babysit me. And uh, I remember like sometimes you would go and I'm like, I'm going to sneak a little bit of grandma's coffee out of her mug. And I go take a little sip and oh man, what the hell? That's not coffee. You're like, that is disgusting. And then you think about it a little bit and you're like, hold on a second. That's Coca-Cola. I like Coca-Cola. Has that ever happened to you? You go drink something and you're expecting one thing because of the cup it's in or just what, you know, maybe they pushed the little buttons on the top. They clicked other and you assumed it was root beer and it's Dr. Pepper in your mind. And this, this crazy twist of expectations just totally ruined it. And the funny thing is I liked Coke. For me, Coke had the goods. Coke had the substance. There was nothing wrong with the essence. The problem was the vessel set up the wrong expectation. Serving Coke out of a mug led me to be 
surprised in such a way that it was a visceral negative response. Have you ever drank wine out of like a coffee mug? Like there's just something about it. Like I just, I don't know if this wine is off. I can't, the vessel matters. And I just want to suppose to you that maybe you have crushed it. You know, I think on the, on the essence front, I think that the further you go as an artist, the easier it is to get more and more obsessed with the essence. I actually think that's a really natural, positive trajectory for the artist because a lot of us get into creative pursuits for things that are less than savory. You know, the way that it makes us look around our friends to wear this or that band t-shirt or trying to impress our older brother or, you know, trying to be one of the cool kids, whatever it is. Like sometimes the thing that gets us to taste the coffee is just that it looks cool holding the mug, right? It's kind of like cigarettes in that way. It looks cool, but there's actually nothing good for you in that, right? And you probably hated it the first time you had it. Like that, that's how we usually start. But then hopefully, ideally, eventually, you fall into what art is really all about. And as I get older, I'm actually finding that, you know, uh, this whole equation of vessel and essence is so important is more important than ever because now that I'm all about essence, I am so tempted to phone in the vessel. I'm so dedicated to the essence, to the substance that I neglect style if I'm not careful. And we've said it a hundred times on this show. Like if you're a book cover designer, you know, it's easy for you to be like, look, shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you should remember that people do and you make as good of a vessel cover for that coffee as you possibly can. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care what type of artist you are, okay? Listen, you're probably sat there being some cranky stick in the mud in the back being like, I'm no mixologist, man. I don't have cups. I, I, don't, I don't serve my stuff in cups, but of course you do. What do you think the caption on Instagram is? What do you think the headline of your blog post is? What do you think the booth set up at the comic convention is? It's all cups, baby, and you better go the extra mile to craft something that is worthy of the essence, that gives the right context to that essence with the right semiotics and symbolism and context to make that substance shine. You want that inviting vessel that's a fit for the essence for when you pick it up and take a sip. You are pleasantly, you, you, your expectations are met and maybe defied, but they're done so in a way where you're like, ah, Okay, so the first thing you gotta do to get to strike this balance so that your creative work works. The first thing you gotta do is you gotta become a potter, baby. You got to, you have to own the side of creating that is the vessel, that is doing justice to the essence. Okay? And I wanna I want to convince you on why you should become a potter and believe in the vessel making, making, you know, pottery, a pottery vessel. That that's what, that's what I'm trying to say here. You know, I grew up in the nineties. I told you that I believe with the Chuck E. Cheese thing. And in the nineties, there was nobody who was more a king of the weirdos than Jim Carrey. And people on this show know that Jim Carrey was a massive creative inspiration to me. You know, watching Ace Ventura for the first time, it honestly was one of the most affirming things that experiences that happened to me as a kid, because I saw this guy who was so anti-toxic masculinity. He was so like, 
embodied bravado in the dumbest way and really railed against these, you know, he was really superior to the jocks in this, in this setting as a man in his own way. And, and I just watched, you know, people like my dad, this is too much therapy, but people like my dad, like watch this weirdo and really appreciate this different type of manhood. Right. And I think as a total weirdo, as someone also with ADHD, Jim Carrey has ADHD, he was just like it and he wasn't just it for me he had the goods the essence the substance and almost everybody in the country agreed and he went on a movie making streak that was unparalleled at the time ace ventura the mask and dumb and dumber he broke the record for how much an actor made with a single movie and, and so he was it in this moment right? He had the essence. And then along comes this next movie. It's a little flick called Cable Guy. And I, you know, looking back on the movie, I actually really like the movie. But audiences and critics agreed that it was garbage. And when I saw it, I actually hated it. Now, there's, a lot, there's been a lot of discussion about what actually happened in this situation because critics should have loved, like, here's a guy at the top of his game taking a completely left turn. Critics freaking love that, man. This was a risky, kind of like thriller, uh, creepy, weird movie that was very, like, you know, indie sensibility in a way, pushing a bunch of boundaries. It was very, very interesting. But what happened was the trailer, the vessel, the context, the mug that they put this coffee in teed it up to be something that it wasn't. You know, the, the executives had it in their mind. We better sell this thing. We better clickbait this thing to get all of the Jim Carrey fans to think this is just one more in a line of quintessential, wacky, Jim Carrey, fun comedies. And that was not what it was. And audiences went to go see this thing. They took a little sip out of that mug and they said, that is not coffee. That is not Carrie. That is not what I was told this was gonna be. And I like to envision in the multiverse, an executive with decision-making power having in his hands this episode about vessel and essence. <laughs> so <laughs> grandiose. And, and thinking, you know what? We need to give this thing the proper context. We need to put it in the right vessel. Now, there was a, if that's not enough for you, here's a little bit more goods. Here's a little bit more convincing on why you need to own. If you're an artist and you want to connect with people through your work, I want to convince you that you must become a master potter. You have to be someone who crafts vessels as much as you do reach inside and pull out that essence. There's this incredibly interesting study by a scholar known as, Her known as, he didn't have an alias, it was just his real name, Harold Kelly. He did this really interesting study where he had a teacher come into a class and the whole class is a college class, didn't know this teacher, it's the first time they ever interacted with this person. And they all were given this little brief bio on the teacher. And every single bio was the same, except 50% had the word warm in it. Like this is a, people generally think this teacher is really warm. And then 50% had in the bio that, you know, this teacher is considered to be cold by some people, but really is, really has the goods essentially. And when the class was over, all of the students after the lesson, and they all experienced the exact same lesson, were asked to write about their experience. And what did they say? 
the people that were told, people that were given the context that this is a warm teacher used that kind of language to talk about the teacher. And you guessed it, the opposite was also true. The people that were told this person's, you know, clinical, cold, to the point, gets the job done, they described the teacher as cold. In marketing, they call this pre-framing. How you set it up, what you tell them it's going to be, is going to dramatically influence how they experience it. Now, later on the episode, we're going to get to how you can defy those expectations. And, and it's really interesting. There's some, inter- there's some great art that does that. And we're going to talk about that. But regardless, how you craft that vessel is essential. And, and, it, and it matters on how they experience and how they taste those goods. You know, it even comes down to, you've experienced this in your own life. You probably learned when you were really young, you know, you, you, want, you fell in love with this band and you wanted everybody to know about it. And so what did you do? You hyped it up. You're like, this band freaking changed my life, man. It's amazing. And then you listen to it and you're like, man, I just don't hear it. You ever have someone do that for a movie? Like this movie is the best freaking movie that I have ever seen. You know, more often than not, I like to watch movies that people have been like, it's pretty awful. And I go into it and I'm like, well, it's going to be terrible. And then just enjoy what it is because my expectations were so low. And as I've matured, I've tended to be like, you know, you know, how I, I, if I'm trying to really sell something, if I know I experienced something that someone uh, in my life has similar taste and I want them to experience it because I love them. I want them to have this great experience. I've learned to be like, hey, you know how you like that band? It's kind of like that mixed with this other thing that you like. You might like it. You might like it. No pressure, no stakes, no overhyping, setting the perfect table to be successful, to experience this thing in its uh, in its essence. And I want you to own first and foremost, the first thing you got to do to strike that vessel essence balance is to dedicate yourself to being the master potter as much as you are the master essence polar outer. All right, the second thing you got to do is you've got to take the naming process seriously. When you name your company, your creative company, when you name whatever name you take on as an artist, whatever you name a project or a gallery show or an album or a song, whatever it is, that name is one of the key components of the vessel. That is a huge part of pre-framing that coffee with a beautiful mug that really exemplifies the essence. And it tells a lot about what's inside. You know, that Frappuccino, unicorn, Starbucks thing with the crazy glitter and the, you know, plastic lid and straw and all that stuff. That says something about who it's for. And when you go here in town, this I love this coffee shop. It's called the Fox and Snow, and it has a mug, beautiful little mug, not too big, not too small. It's not for the person that's trying to get lit on coffee. It's for the person that wants to savor it. It's for the connoisseur. And not only that, it just has this stark little fox printed on it in black. And, and my favorite part, because I'm a sucker for a good vessel, is because the handle, it's not just on the side halfway down. It's at the top. It's at the top of the cup. You have to just imagine it. It just like cuts off. Like it's, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, it's indescribable, this mug. But it's got a weird handle is what I'm trying to say. And it's a, and that weird handle speaks to like, this isn't your grandma's coffee, buddy. And I'm like, yes, I'm in. Because it's for me, right? That's, I'm that guy. And I think choosing your name, I've learned the hard way, is such a big deal. And I feel you creators out there that are like, it's the heart. It's the idea. It's the essence, the the soul that I put it into. The name does not matter. But 
if you want people to give your coffee a taste, you got to put it in something, man. You got to put it in something that they want to engage with that says this is for them. You got to give them, you got to get them to give it a taste. You know, there's a lot of talk about clickbait online and I've thought a lot about it. You know, I've heard Hank Green of the Vlogbrothers talk about how he's unashamed about trying to make headlines that people will click. And I think, you know, he's not, he's a realist in the fact that 70% of people only read the headline. And the whole idea of the title of the book, the book cover is to get them to flip over the back of the book and read the first sentence of the back copy. And the only reason for the back copy is for you to open and read the inside flap. And the only reason for that is for you to read the first sentence of the book. If you hook them in those four places, you've got them. And I think it is such a shame that we want to play it so freaking cool that we don't want to make anything that even resembles clickbait. When in my humble opinion, the real problem with clickbait was never the title. It was the article is that they had a title that was everything that you wanted. You were convinced you were going to get coffee and you got pond water. The article was pond water. And so what ends up happening is it gives a bad name to Titles that use psychology to get you to engage. And the truth is, I, you know, I don't want to ever create clickbait in the, in the sense of, I don't want to make anything that says it's one thing and it's something else that I won't do. But what I will do is I will take half the time it takes me to record an episode, naming the episode. And I do that every single week. Every single week, I write 20 different titles for the episode. And so I I want you to take that seriously. Creative Pep Talk, the name of this podcast, came through doing other projects. And when I stumbled upon that name, I thought, that's a vessel. It feels right for the kind of thing that I'm trying to do here. When I stumbled upon my project, Invisible Things, when I had that name, I was like, that's a name. That's a vessel that gets to, that's the context that explains everything you need to know about what this is. I've been really obsessed. I keep thinking about, there's this documentary, docu-series called This Is Pop on Netflix, and it goes into a bunch of different aspects of pop music. The first episode is about one of my all-time favorite music groups, Boys to Men. There's probably, I probably listen more to Boys to Men than anything in my entire life. I know Michael, Nathan, Sean, and Wanye. I know I could pick out their voices. I can sing almost all the lyrics. I even know the notes of everything that Wanye does in the background at the end as he's doing the vocal, uh, you know, going all over the place. I can't hit the notes, but I know them. I know what they're supposed to be. And I loved that episode so much. And one of the things I've been thinking about it like crazy, there's definitely going to be more boys to men content coming at you, at least in the next episode, maybe more from that documentary. And um, one of the things that I just was obsessed with was they were talking about how meta their first single was. So their first single was Motown Philly. And the meta part of it is it's a song that is their breakout song about their big break. So they recorded it before they ever had the big break. They kind of manifested it into existence by, you know, telling that story. And not only that, not only were they pre-framing this as this is our big break, they also did this incredible vessel creation by naming it Motown Philly. Motown Philly, you know, I hadn't really thought about it completely, but if you break that down, the idea was these are kids that grew up in Philly. They've got, they were influenced by the Philly sound and in their households, they were just always immersed in that Motown sound. And what makes them different is they are the Venn diagram of Motown and Philly. And we're going to try to embody those two sounds and smash them together and do something new. And so before you even ever hear them, you have the context of this is what this is. 
Not to mention that the song goes into, it's just them telling their story. It's telling them like, this is what's great about boys to men. It's about them meeting the, the guy who ends up becoming their manager from the band New Edition, Michael Bivens. And they're actually, they are pre-framing their entire career by telling their story. By finding what is the story, and their story was, they they had five seconds with Michael Bivens, and they said, hey, check this out. And then they did this incredible four-part harmony on the spot before you could even say, okay, I'll listen to that. And it was so good that he gave them their number, his number. And that context sets up this personal mythology you know, one massive fan favorite episode of this podcast is an interview I did with one of my buddies, Go Shrimp. He was the original background designer for Adventure Time. And he has this whole idea of developing your personal mythology. You know, what is your story? We're going to dive deep into this because I think this is a huge part of substance. Over the next year or so, we're going to do all kinds of work around finding and developing your story so that you can create something like Motown Philly, so that you can create something that is a vessel that helps people understand what's great about you from the first sip. And that starts with taking the naming process deeply seriously. And even if you don't, you have to understand, it's like, you know, I remember getting the Sigur album that's untitled. Every song is untitled. There's no English in it. Like everything about it was setting, it, that was a vessel. Like by not designing the vessel, by not naming it, it was a brand all in its own right, right? It said something about the mystery of what you're about to encounter. And so whether you reject the vessel, whether you defy the expectation, regardless of what it is, it needs to say something about the work and you need to take that naming process incredibly seriously. Okay, the third and final thing that you've got to do if you really want to have a, a breakout piece of creative work that really works on its audience. What I think you got to do, and what I've been like wrestling with and trying to figure out is number three is break expectations dot, dot, dot carefully. Now that sounds antithetical to everything we've said. You know, if, if you're serving coffee, put it in a mug, right? Like we, that's what we've said the whole time. You know, your vessel needs to be crafted purposefully for the essence for the goods that you're trying to deliver. I completely stand beside that, uh, behind it, not beside it. I stand behind it. But if you want to take it to the next level, if you want to break out, I think you have to do that and then some, and then surprise. It's not enough to make perfectly acceptable coffee and put it in a perfectly appropriate mug, right? Like that's not going to give you any kind of unique selling point within the world. You're not, there's no viability there. You've got to do something different. And, and I think that as we get into this discussion about crafting vessels, being very thoughtful and intentional, not just about the heart and the soul, but in the body of the work. It's easy to be like, uh, excuse me. Hello there. What about M. Night Shyamalan? What about Hannah Gadsby? What about these people that completely redefine what it means to be that person? And I would actually argue that those examples, those are bigger proof of how being super intentional about the way that you craft and name and contain your essence is of the utmost importance. You know, when I started doing talks, I just found that, you know, I knew that I wanted to do talks that were, I wanted to do, 
I, I had all these heroes in the design and illustration world, and I wanted to go speak at conferences and speak at schools. Uh, I had a taste of it, and I wanted to. I felt like this is my thing. I want to go do that. And I started doing that. And at first, I was doing a design talk. That was the vessel, and I was meeting that expectations with the essence. I was giving them a design talk, and then I'd give them a little bit of this other thing, which was this storytelling kind of one man show, different kind of thing. And, and I found that like the balance there was really well received. Like they got what they were expecting to get and then some. And then over time, I kind of messed with that balance a little bit more. And I would set it up. I would, I would put it together like it was a design talk. But by the end of it, I feel like they would be like, what was that? Uh, I don't know, but I liked it. <laughs> uh, and uh, in, in the good pos in the best possible way, it wasn't, I like it. What is it? It was like, I liked it and I don't know what it was. And then towards, you know, before the pandemic hit, the last couple shows that I did or the last couple talks I did were much more like one man show. And, and sometimes it worked really well and sometimes they didn't. But ultimately the big problem was if the expectation was a design talk and I just went and did a one man show, the same material that worked before before, when I had it in an appropriate vessel, wouldn't work quite as well or just wouldn't pan out at all. And I realized like, oh, I've got to be careful. You know, when they invite me to come do a show, when they know the expectation, you know, there was a time in 2019, I got to go do a talk in LA and there was no slides. And it was very clear, like, this is not a design talk. We want you to come tell stories. And I did my one man show thing. And it was the best speaking engagement experience that I'd ever had. And then a couple months later, I did the same thing at a design conference. And I, and I added a few slides and stuff, but essentially it was the same. And I, and it did, it wasn't a bomb. It was actually pretty good, but I could tell that there was this thing of like, I like it. What is it <laughs> in the bad kind of way? And so I've been thinking a lot about how, how does one strike that balance and just being careful about the context, the name, like, what are you telling these people it is? How are you setting it up? Now, speaking of M. Night Shyamalan and Sixth Sense as a great example, you know, one of the things that they tell you in storytelling that's essential to a satisfying ending is that it'll be both surprising and inevitable. It's got to be both. You ever watch a, a crime show or, a, you know, a mystery series and the end is just so surprising. You could have never seen it coming and you're completely and utterly, oh, this isn't coffee. So disappointed, right? Because it can't just be surprising. It can't just defy your expectations wholesale. It also has to be inevitable. The reason that, you know, 99 out of hundred people that saw Sixth Sense for the first time felt it hit them like a ton of bricks was because not just because it was so surprising that ending, but because it ran through every clue that made this ending inevitable. It, it should have been obvious and it still surprised you. That's the kind of defying expectations that we are looking for. You know, speaking of Hannah Gadsby, she's somebody nobody has been more talked about in the comedy world. If you want to look at something that was a complete massive breakout, her special Nanette blew the comedy world wide open. And you, you might love her, you might hate her, uh, but there's no denying that nobody has been more, had, had more attention in that art form than her over the past five years. And, and I think, you know, I've heard her, and it's easy to think about Nanette and say, that's a prime example of how the vessel doesn't matter. Even that special in her next special, she named it these things that were completely inappropriate for the special. But guess what? Both of the specials were inappropriate things for a comedy special. The vessel perfectly matched the essence. When she tells you at the start, like, I wanted to name it Nanette. Here's why I named it Nanette. This is why it doesn't make any sense to label it that. It's a hint. It's setting you up. It's setting your expectations up. 
that curveball is the primary argument. It's the best argument I have to say, consider the vessel. You know, I was watching a love song exploder used to be, it's a podcast and it's a docu-series on Netflix and they go into like, uh, you know, big hit songs and they tear them apart. You know, that's my jam. And you listen to Lin-Manuel Miranda talk about the process of writing, wait for it. And you listen to, you know, the name of it. You listen to the point of it. You listen to the lyrics of it. You listen to how they arranged the melodies. Every single piece is put in place to highlight and frame this transcendent idea of the song, even down to, you know, I love little flourishes, like every little idea in the song, even at the end, Burr, who is singing that song, actually misses the beat when he's supposed to say the last wait for it. He makes you wait for it in the song. And you see that song is a masterwork of vessel essence balance. And, and I believe Nanette is the same thing. And so even if you are going to reject it, even if you're going to subvert it. And I hope that you do. I hope that you break expectations. I still don't think there's an argument for not crafting and considering it. Okay, a little bit of homework. I want you to craft an anti-hype vessel, an anti-hype elevator pitch for your work. I want to tell you a sales trick that lots of salespeople use. It's called being honest. It's so crafty. If you'll be honest, you'll be blown away by how much more stuff you will sell. This is like a thing. And you go into sales and, and the talks I give and the, all the stuff and all the studies, they talk about, you know, one of the best things you can do out the gate is to start with, here's all our cars. You know, I wouldn't pick that car. Honestly, I don't think it's the best car. Here's why. And what that does. Now, there are shysty people who will do that when they don't even, they like that car. They say it about a different car, you know, every other time. I'm not suggesting you do that at all. I think that's gross and disgusting. What I'm suggesting you do is be honest about something that's not so great about your work. You know, for me, it's, I'm not technically that great at drawing. It's not really what my drawing is about. I've always had trouble when drawing realistically, like capturing the likeness of a person, but I actually think I am damn good at capturing people's attention with my work. You know, I've had so many people say that they have listened to this podcast because of the cover art and, and I, and it's something I know I can do. And I think that this ability to own your weaknesses as well as your strengths as a pre-framing exercise is really powerful. Going back to if I'm going to share something with a friend, I'm not going to oversell it. You know, Jerry Seinfeld, I once heard him say that one time he was introduced, he was put in the vessel of the best comedian of all time, Jerry Seinfeld. Here you go. Do your set. He was like, that is the worst. Now you have set the bar so high, the expectations so unreachable that there is no way I will be able to meet those expectations. And so when I tell, you know, I once told my brother to watch this Mike Birbiglia special on Netflix that is really a one-man show, more than it was a comedy special. Still very funny. He's a great comedian, but it was a one-man show, unapologetically. But he was saying, like, what are your favorite comedy specials? And I named that, and he watched it, and he didn't enjoy it as much as he would have if I had given it the right trailer to its cable guy-ness. If I would have said, like, look, this is not going to be belly-busting. That's not what this is. And that's, you know, that's me being honest. That's me anti-hyping the thing. But I could say, you know, if you like the self-deprecating thing of Jim Gaffigan, mixed with like this American life, you're going to super love it. And so I suggest that you try to craft yourself an anti-hype pre-framing vessel 
a little elevator pitch that helps explain, helps you helps you kind of think about this in hopefully a different way and own some of your weaknesses so that you can highlight what your work is all about. So what is this? You know, part of it even is, is just like, I'm just trying to get better at when I send loose random JPEGs to my friends, just being like, hey, this is a calendar. This is, this, this is for a sticker. This is a poster. You know, even that level of context makes it make so much more sense and helps that essence really shine. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do a better job because I'm, all about the essence this day, these days. And I hope that this episode put a little pep in your step, gave you some fresh perspective on how to show up into your creative practice this week. And next time we're going to talk about essence. How do you get, maybe you got the great style. Maybe you're great at every little thing being, you know, right on point. But, you know, have you ever seen those artists? Like sometimes pop music, I just can't even listen to it because it's too perfect. We're going to talk about that. Like, where, where's the soul? Where's the essence of that thing? Um, we're going to go into that next week. Thank you to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Massive thanks to, to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Miller, a.k.a. Sophie Pizza, for content assistance. Thanks to Ryan Appleton and Coloop, the Coloop Podcast Network. We're part of a creative podcast network that's designed to fuel your creativity. Thanks to them for making this thing possible. And thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing this show so beautifully each and every week. And thanks to you for showing up and, and giving another week your best because that's what it is. Creativity is a journey. It's not you have it or you don't. It's a thing that you uncover and develop over time. And we're doing it together week in, week out. Massive thanks to everybody who showed up last week and rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. If you could do that, I would love like, let's do a big push. If we can get a little bit higher on the Apple charts, sometimes that gets more eyeballs on there. And I'm just, you know, I, I get really serious about creatives who need a little boost, getting it and, and, and discovering this show and, and stacking up those efforts week in and week out as they get pepped to the max. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.